0: Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was lying on in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from the scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciple went back to where they were staying. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb. And saw two angels in white, seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and one at the foot. They asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They've taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this she turned round and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realise that it was Jesus. He asked her, Woman, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned towards him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabbonne, which means teacher. Jesus said, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to the Father and your Father, to to my God and your God. To my God and your God. To my God and your God. To my God and to your God. Your God. To my God and your God. To my God and your God. To my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news. I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. Hello? Happy Easter to you, whether you're in the building, whether you're at home, Um, it's great that you can join us. And as we just heard, Easter is such an exciting day. Now, I don't know about you. Uh, Are you excited for Easter? Um, Maybe if you're online, uh, give us a a like, a thumbs up, whatever, um, to say that you're excited. And in the building, let's have a show of hands. Anyone excited? Yeah. That, I'm, I'm kind of surprised, to be honest. I thought there would be less. That's great. The, the service is, is getting you excited. Um, yeah, you see, Easter is an absolute game changer. Um, sometimes it's easy just to focus on the long weekend, the bank holiday, the start of the Easter holidays, chocolate, um, Easter egg hunts, all of those things, which are, which are fantastic things. But actually, when you look at Easter in the wider context of history, it is this game-changing event. And, um, yeah, we're just going to take a few minutes now just to look at the impact that it's made. See, Jesus had been gathering quite a following. Um, He'd been healing people. He'd been um, casting out demons. We heard a few weeks ago about how he'd even raised Lazarus from the dead. He was speaking with an authority that, that the people around just hadn't heard before. Um, and some people were even starting to believe that he was the promised Savior. And then Good Friday happened, Jesus was executed. The crowds had scattered. They'd left him. His friends, his closest friends, were we're told were hidden. They were locked behind doors for fear of the Jewish leaders. If that is the story, then Jesus was just a teacher who did some miracles, maybe a prophet, in this, this little rural backwater of Galilee in Israel. But... The story continues, and if we could just have that that verse up, please, Josh. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. Jesus is alive. Now, I can't say that without grinning, because Jesus is alive. Death couldn't hold him. It's lost its sting, as we as we read earlier. Jesus wasn't just this teacher, this prophet in a tiny area of Israel. No, he was and is the Son of God. And that's what his resurrection proved. And he died, as we've heard already, to make that way for us to be friends with God again. I don't know about you, but that just... it it amazes me. I'm gobsmacked by the thought that death, that kind of aspect of life which we just know is inevitable for all things, has lost its sting. It's lost its power. We have a real hope that death isn't the end, but we know that we can be raised to life with Jesus As he proved that we can? He is the example. He's the the one who's gone before us. He's that first fruit of the harvest to prove that we can be raised again. And maybe if you're dropping in or or you've just been around church for a while, you might think, well, that sounds great, but how can somebody be raised again? That doesn't happen. People don't come back to life from death. Couldn't the disciples have made it up? Well, I suppose they could have, but the Bible actually tells us of multiple appearances. In 1 Corinthians, we hear of at least 500 people in one go saw the risen Jesus. Now, that is a lot of of eyewitnesses with testimonies. That's a lot of people to try and get behind your conspiracy if you've made it up. But actually more convincing, for me at least, is the fact that their behavior completely switched the behavior of the disciples. They went from being these, these people cowarding behind locked doors for fear of the Jewish leaders. And then days, weeks later, they are in front of those same Jewish leaders testifying that Jesus has been raised from the dead. They were willing to risk everything for this claim that if they'd made up, then... Well, they were just putting themselves at risk for nothing. And actually, many of the disciples went on to be killed for that belief. If you'd made something up, you wouldn't be willing to die for it, would you? So that just convinces me that Jesus is alive. Fact, a historical event. And everything changed for the disciples on that first Sunday. They changed completely um, in, in, in their behavior but it changed for the rest of history as well. It wasn't just these people that it affected. The church was born, this movement of Jesus followers who are seeking to be a light, to bring hope, love, and justice into the world. Yes, sometimes the church has made mistakes, it's done terrible things, but Christians as a whole, in general, have made a huge difference in the world to health and social care, to education, to business, to politics, to science, to justice. What a game changer that first Easter was. And it's not just something that's changed the world, but actually it has the power to change us individually as well. If we accept Jesus as our risen savior, if we repent of the the wrong things that we've done, then we're forgiven. And we can have a relationship with God, which Jesus brought through his death on the cross. We can know this fullness of life, both in this life, but even more amazingly, in the life to come. What a game changer that is. Now, if, if you're listening in and, and you're sort of on the fringes of church and you want to know a bit more, um, if you go to our website, highgrove.church forward slash faith, then you can watch a video and you can read a bit more information about how you can um, get to know Jesus and, um, and say yes to him as your risen saviour. But this morning, we really want to take a chance to, to celebrate the fact that Jesus is alive. So let me pray. Father God, we thank you for sending Jesus. And we thank you, Jesus, that you are alive, that it changed everything in history, for for the disciples, for society, and it can change everything for us as well. We thank you, Jesus, that you're alive. Amen. Bubbles. My favourite word is recumbent. My favourite word is rejoice. My favourite word is bookkeeper because it's the only word in the English language with three double letters. My favourite word is spring. My favourite word is topple Whoa! my favourite word is music because I enjoy playing instruments. My favourite word is creation. My favourite word is Ujimafluji. It's very useful when you've forgotten the name of the thing majig that you were talking about. Favourite word? Nothing! <laughs> My favourite word is noise. My favourite word is dog. My favourite word is anti disestablishmentarianism. I don't really know what it means, but when I looked into it, I thought. I'm not an anti-disestablishmentarianist. Hello again. It's so amazing to celebrate that Jesus is alive. But Easter isn't just about this game-changing event in history. It's not something that we just study in history, RE or sociology classes, kind of scientifically prodding the, uh, the claims that are made. No, Easter Sunday and Jesus' resurrection is incredibly relevant to your life and to my life and, and that's what we're going to take um, a few minutes to really dig into now. You see, Jesus didn't announce his resurrection with fireworks or with a message emblazoned in the sky. And although angels are mentioned, there wasn't a choir of angels singing um, like there is in the, in the Christmas story with the shepherds. Instead, we read of intimate meetings which consists of Jesus mainly telling his disciples not to be afraid and trying to convince them that he's actually alive again. Now we heard earlier in the the reading that this is how Jesus announced his resurrection to Mary, with just a single word. At this she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realise that it was Jesus. He asked her, Woman, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've put him and I will get him. Now, remember, this was early in the morning. While it was still dark, maybe the tears falling from her eyes masked her vision when she saw Jesus. She didn't didn't see him clearly. So he says to her, Mary. She turned towards him and cried out, out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Now, Jesus could have belted out, behold, I'm risen. He could have announced his resurrection like he did to Saul later on the road to Damascus with this blinding flash of light and awe and wonder. But no, Jesus asks her a question and then he simply says her name, Mary. I wonder if her own name kind of became Mary's favourite word because with that single word, Jesus changed everything for her. With Jesus, it just takes a single word for him to change our situations in in our lives and situations in the lives of those around us. While I was preparing this talk, I felt led to a song called Say the Word by Beth Croft. The chorus goes, say the word and I'll be free. Say the word, I'll be made whole. At your word, mountains are moved. Seas that are raging, will calm when you say the word. And it echoes the words of the centurion who we read about in Matthew chapter eight. When Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him asking for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home paralyzed, suffering terribly. Jesus said to him, shall I come and heal him? The centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one, Go, and he goes, and that one, Come, and he comes. I say to my servant, Do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed and said to those following him, Truly I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. Then Jesus said to the centurion, Go. Let it be done just as you believed it would. And his servant was healed at that moment. And actually, just after this account in Matthew's Gospel, um, we also read about how Jesus rebuked a storm. He simply, with his words, he commanded it to stop. It amazed the disciples who were with him at the time, and it amazes me too that the words of Jesus have such power to change circumstances. I don't know about you, but I want Jesus to be speaking those words of transformation and change into my life. Maybe this morning you're longing for Jesus to say the word of healing for you, or for someone close to you. Maybe you've lost something precious, which you really want to find, or or you need a broken relationship to be restored, or to see breakthrough or freedom in a situation where there just doesn't seem to be a good solution. If there's anything we can learn from Jesus' life, but but even more importantly from his resurrection, it's that Jesus has the power to change these situations. And actually we'll be taking a chance to pray for these uh, situations just a little bit later. Because actually we need to deal with another side of it, because sometimes Jesus' words aren't uh, aren't, um, aimed at transforming the situation, the circumstances we find ourselves in. Sometimes the purpose of them is to transform us. We see examples of how Jesus does this as he meets his disciples after the resurrection. Although it was Jesus saying her name that changed everything for Mary, they weren't actually Jesus' first words to her. He asked her, why are you crying? He also asked questions to the disciples on the road to Emmaus, who were discussing, discussing everything that had happened in Jerusalem over the, the Easter weekend. Jesus asked them, what are you discussing as you walk along? And then a little bit um, further on, don't you understand? Now to the disciples, in, locked in the upper room, he, he asks, why are you troubled? And why do doubts rise in your mind? And to Peter, um, on the the shoreline, after they've just um, had breakfast and and sort of talking um, in Galilee, Jesus asks, do you love me? Now, Pete Gregg, who is the founder of the 24-7 prayer movement, puts it like this. Good Friday had left a mess, and Jesus was systematically dealing with the consequences of chaos in the lives of his friends, by provoking them to respond to his presence. Jesus' question for Mary targeted her pain. His question for the two men on the road to Emmaus targeted their confusion. His question to the disciples targeted their crisis of faith. And then he cooked breakfast for Peter and asked him a question that targeted his guilt. Sometimes, as much as we might not like it, The most important thing for Jesus to do is to change us rather than change our circumstances. I think that Jesus' miraculous resurrection was actually only part of what the disciples needed. They needed to be transformed from the inside out. And Jesus' words to them, his questions, started that process of inner healing that the Holy Spirit continued. Now there is an amazing story um, about Elijah, Um, he's one of the Old Testament prophets, Um, great, great um, stories about him in the Bible. But yeah, this story in particular, he sticks up for God against these 500 false prophets of Baal, who, um, yeah, they all... They all try and um, summon Baal to do do his thing, but he doesn't. And then God shows up powerfully, and and it ends up with um, all of these false prophets being killed. Um, but the queen at the time really liked those false prophets, and so she wants to kill Elijah, who stood against them. So he runs away, um, and he is just absolutely um, shattered. He... Um, he gets uh, put back on his feet physically by God, uh, he gets, um, sort of gives him some great rest, he gets given some food and, and it picks him up again, um, and then he goes to this mountain and God meets with him there. But God doesn't speak to him in the great fire that rages on the mountainside or in the huge wind that gusts or in the earthquake that, that shook the foundations of the mountain but he speaks in a gentle whisper. Mike Pilovacci and uh, Andy Croft write this. Most of us are wired to hunt for the uh, the spiritual in the spectacular. We want to receive a stunning prophetic word, an overwhelming feeling of love or a a miraculous healing. We're not listening to God as much as we are looking for showy signs and dramatic revelations. We've boxed God into speaking impressively and missed that he prefers to speak lovingly. God whispers because his priority is intimacy, not entertainment. You don't have to be close to the earthquake, the wind or the fire to feel its effects, but to hear the gentle whisper, you have to feel his breath on your neck. So maybe this morning, um, as you're you're waiting for Jesus to say the word of transformation over your circumstances, let's make sure we're still listening for him in case he's actually gently whispering to us, wanting to transform us from the inside out rather than from the external circumstances. Now we're going to take a chance to pray now. Um, So maybe you'd like to stand up where you are. Uh, sometimes actually holding your hands out in kind of a gesture of receiving can help your, your mind and your spirit get into the right place. So, let's pray. Jesus, I thank you that you rose from the dead. I thank you that you have the power to say the word and change everything. Lord, if we if we have those situations that that we want to see supernatural breakthrough, um, that we bring them to mind now, Lord, and we pray um, as that centurion did. Say the word. Have your way, Jesus. Bring healing. Bring freedom. Bring breakthrough. But as hard as it is, Lord, we, we sometimes we realise that actually it's, it's us that you want to transform, rather than the situations. And so we wait for you now. Lord Jesus, would you, would you speak to us? Whether we're, um, yeah, whether we're waiting for that transformation, whether we um, know that you exist, whether we've got that relationship, or if we're just listening in, Lord, would you, risen Jesus, speak to us this morning? Lord, we listen for you now. Amen.